you know, we know from our scientific research and in behavioral science studies that it's really story. It's really emotional connection to people and things we care about that ultimately move us, that ultimately motivate us to make a change that's better for our health or to try to transform our lives in some way or to make the try to make the world a better place or more equitable or more just. Hey everyone, I'm Bianca Schultz from the Children's Book Review, and this is the Growing Readers Podcast. In this episode, I talk with Diana Farid about her glorious and poignant coming-of-age novel written in verse, Wave. It's set in 1980s Southern California and is about a Persian-American girl who surfs, sings, and struggles to fit in. You might know Diana as the author of the picture book, When You Breathe, a 2021 NCTE Notable Poetry Book and winner of the 2021 Eureka Gold Award for Children's Nonfiction. Both When You Breathe and Wave are published by Cameron Kids. Diana is a poet and a physician at Stanford University. She lives in the Bay Area of California. Before I share our conversation, let me read the synopsis for Wave. Thirteen-year-old Ava loves to surf and to sing. Singing and reading Rumi poems settle her mild OCD, and catching waves with her best friend Phoenix lets her fit in. Her olive skin looks tan, not foreign. But then Ava has to spend the summer before ninth grade volunteering at the hospital to follow in her single mother's footsteps to become a doctor. And when Phoenix's past lymphoma surges back, not even surfing, singing, or poetry can keep them afloat, threatening Ava's hold on the one place and the one person that make her feel like she belongs. With ocean-like rhythm and lyricism, Wave is about a girl who rides the waves, tumbles, and finds her way back to the shore. Hi, Diana. Welcome to the Growing Readers Podcast. Hi, Bianca. It's so great to be here. Thank you so much for having me. So before we dive into talking about your novel in verse, Wave, you are also the author of an award-winning picture book, When You Breathe. And while both books are different, I can't help but notice a common thread in your writing about connecting with oneself through breath and sending your song out into the world. So I'd love to start by getting to know what it is that inspires you to write for children. Thank you so much for asking that question. It's true. Both When You Breathe and Wave ultimately do come from a space in which I really hope that when a reader finishes reading the book and closes it, they get a sense of their intrinsic worth, that the beauty that's already within them, simply of the fact of their being, of their breathing, that the world breathes life into them, and that that is really ultimately what makes them worthy. You know, on the cover of When You Breathe, there are these images of stars that we breathe in. And that fact comes both from the scientific world, where we know that literally the oxygen that we breathe in and that gives us energy is made from, is a result of 
the fusion reaction of molecules on other stars. And I think knowing that fact combined with sort of the more poetic idea that we move through this world, that we connect with others has real value, I think, for us as individuals, as adults, being with children and for children themselves. Yeah, absolutely. So I want you to know that my favorite books are the ones that make me stop and think and connect and feel and wave did that for me in a huge way. I have not cried over a middle grade book for many years in the way that my heart wept over wave. It's so oh beautiful. Gosh. And I need you to know how I, I, I just, I need to know how and why this was the story that spilled out of you. Yeah. Um, God, first of all, that knowing that that was your response is incredibly moving for me. For me, the, the biggest, the biggest prize, the biggest, um, um, wonder and sense of satisfaction from having wave be in the world is to have that connection with, with you and to be able to, to share in that. So thank you for sharing that with me. You know, I, I was walking, I grew up near the beach and uh, several years ago, I was walking near the water uh, at the ocean shore. And I had this strange idea of, I just started thinking about what would the ocean be like if there were no waves? And then I thought about, well, gosh, what if there were no waves at all in the whole world? What, what would the world be like? And I went down this really, you know, kind of odd path, you know, but I realized, oh, there would be no sound. There would be no light. There would be no music. There would be no waves of emotion, wonder, awe, even the loss that we have is, is like a kind of wave. And that journey, that questioning combined with the story that connected very deeply to my heart that I wanted to explore in that moment, which was also me growing up in an environment um, where I didn't necessarily look like everybody around me. I didn't have a family life or a culture that was like what I was seeing on TV or what was around me. And the possibility, the loss that we all experience in life that I saw, that I see my patients go through when I take care for them in a clinic setting and what we experience in the world and the grief um, that we experience. Those questions and those explorations all combine into the story of Ava in Wave. What is the value of going on these rides? What is the meaning that we might derive from them? And also, how do we get through? How do all of us get through? What are the things that help us move forward? And so those all came together in Wave for me. The, those are the some of the, um, the real cores, um, core ideas that I wanted to explore. Well, something that you touched on was how you grew up with a recognition that you appeared different to others. And so something that we need to shine a light on is Ava's Middle Eastern background and why she's a much needed addition to the canon of kids literature. Do you want to speak to her background? Yeah. Yeah. You know, Ava's background, the, the Ava is the protagonist, is the main character that we follow in Wave. And she is Middle Eastern. 
Her parents were both born and raised in what we know of today as Iran. And even though we're seeing more characters of Middle Eastern backgrounds or immigrants from the Middle East in more modern children's literature that's published in the United States, we're not necessarily seeing as often different belief systems or a variety of of cultural practices. And Ava is a wonderful character that's a wonderful addition to current children's literature because she isn't what a lot of us might think of Middle Eastern, which is Islamic or practicing the Muslim faith. Um, Her family is of a religious minority. Specifically, Ava herself is, uh, her family practices the Baha'i faith. But what it speaks to having a character like that in modern children's literature for English-speaking readers or English readers is that Middle Easterners, like all geographic individuals, have many belief systems. Um, And specific to the Middle East, you know, there aren't just people who practice the Islamic faith in the Middle East. There are people who practice Judaism. There are people who practice Zoroastrianism, Sikh. There are Buddhists, um, there are agnostics, there are people who don't believe in any religion. I think that's a wonderful way to delve into further deepening our understanding that there's beauty and variety in all geographies of the world. And so I'm hopeful that that will sort of um, lend to that conversation. Do you know what stood out to me? And it's, it's something that I think will resonate with all tween and teen readers is Ava's universal desire to just belong. So will you share your thoughts on her need and want of fitting in? Yeah, it's so important, I think, for our middle grade literature in particular to explore that feeling of belonging. It's such a universal feeling that um, we all go through and tweens go through. And so that in and of itself, I think, is a reason to, to dive into that experience And then specifically for Ava, not looking like others, um, having to navigate a culture that she really feels a part of at school and among her friend friend group, but then a different culture at home um, is quite universal for, for where we live also in the United States, where there are so many people of many experiences living together here. One of the ways that I explored that with Ava is sort of this juxtaposition between her home life and her life at school and the beach. There are some fun scenes in Wave where we see what it's like to be, for example, at a Persian party in Southern California. We get exposed to some of the cultural expectations about career. Um, We get exposed to some of the cultural expectations about potentially a girl's role, even though that's juxtaposed to Ava having a mother who's a surgeon. And then the language differences that come up both in her home life and um, that exposure to people who aren't familiar with it. So, So that's one way that it's explored. One of the things that is interesting about how Ava finds a home in that in WAVE is that she comes to understand this beauty and wisdom and sense of recognition in a famous Persian poet named Rumi. Um, She gets exposed to his poetry. And so we see her recognition of some of the beauty that her culture brings, that the 
people around her may not see. And then we also watch her struggle with people that are her peers, not understanding her culture. You know, she experiences xenophobia. She experiences racist comments. And my intention with that was to have us as, a, as the readers feel what that feels like, feel this tension that comes up when we ourselves feel like we don't belong. And then other people are saying that we don't belong. And then ultimately through her friendship with her best friend in the book, Phoenix, her exploration of the poetry and finding her own sort of sense of who she is and where that, where all of those beauties can come together within her the sense of belonging ultimately is found for, for Ava. And I think a lot of books that explore this topic within herself. And again, it kind of comes back to that idea that we spoke to at the beginning of our interview, which is sort of a worthiness. Is it, is it other people saying that we belong that should ultimately be our sense of belonging? Or is it a recognition that we have value just simply for being. And that, you know, when I say this, I do think of all of the equity and justice issues that we obviously need to address as a society. But I think um, the foundation of a lot of that comes with when we see that within us and we see that within others through a story and through our connection with them, it, we need that in order, I think, to ultimately realize our goals for justice and equity as a community. Those are some of the the ways in which Ava explores it and we as readers get to explore it with her. I just think that that idea of self-worth is so important for everyone and that really comes across with Ava. I do want to talk about you brought up um, how friendships were important and the main friendship that takes place in Wave is with Phoenix. And I don't want to give away any spoilers. So I don't want to ask any specific questions about Phoenix, but what do you want listeners to know about Phoenix and his role in Wave? Gosh, you know, I love Phoenix's character. I am so excited that uh, readers will get to meet him. Phoenix is Ava's buddy. Phoenix is the brother that Ava never had, the brother that Ava always wanted. Ava is growing up as an only child and has a single parent, which is not uncommon um, for a lot of children. She longs for um, a sibling. You know, there's a poem in Wave where she describes what it's like to be an only child. She sees Phoenix as that buddy, as that brother that she's always wanted and in a sense really has through him. Phoenix is also a neighbor. So Phoenix and Ava grow up with each other, around each other, because their parents work together. Their uh, Ava's mother and Phoenix's father work together. And so Phoenix starts out for us as the reader as having that place. As Ava describes her life to us more and we get to experience that spring and summer of 1987 with her, we go with her on this ride of her realizing um, that she has some romantic feelings as well for Phoenix. And so we watch Ava negotiate what that feels like, the confusion that comes up around that, what that might imply for um, their future friendship 
what's lovely about the depiction of their friendship, I think, is Phoenix is the character in some ways that reflects back to Ava, everything that's true about her, everything that makes her feel like she's fully seen before she even sees it herself. He kind of, I think, allows her to sort of open her eyes to that. And and I think that it's a friendship that not only allows her to feel less alone, which is kind of what she wanted as she was growing up to sort of have this buddy, but ultimately becomes a catalyst for her to have this immense growth and this incredible um, epiphany at the end of the story. So I love that this novel has some strong and consistent themes woven throughout. So there's surfing and the connection to water and the connection to Phoenix. There's poetry. There's music. The music is brought to life through Ava's love of singing and mixed tapes. And so the 80s child in me wants to ask you to share a highlight from the book. And it's the part of the story where Ava receives a tape player recorder as a gift from both her mom and her best friend, Phoenix. Yes. Isn't that so wonderful? I loved going back to that time in my life when I made mixtapes and that feeling of needing to sort of listen to the radio really closely because you wanted to grab that song because you didn't necessarily have money to buy the tape or access to the tape for one reason or another. And that was such a fun exploration for me. And yes, one of my favorite scenes is this scene in which Ava is gifted a tape recorder. The setup is that Ava's mom wanted to give her this tape recorder, but she enlisted Phoenix to help him pick it out. He comes over to Ava's house and gives her the gift. And she's, you know, super excited because this is like the one of the big things to do uh, in those days, especially if you love music and you love discovering new music. Back then, it was also a really fun way of making a gift for somebody. You make a gift for a friend or somebody that you had a crush on. So the opportunity to make a mixtape sort of went beyond your own world of the music you liked. It was something that you can do for somebody else, just like we might create playlists today. I was really excited. She's super stoked to get this mixtape. And in the scene, she then discovers that there's a tape inside. And the tape isn't a blank tape. It's a tape that Phoenix has made. Phoenix, she discovers, has made a mixtape for her. This is such a fun scene because it touches on what you said, this theme, this thread that's woven throughout the book, a fun one about mixtapes and music. But then it touches on this deeper thread and this idea of what a gift is. So Ava's getting this gift. She's getting this physical gift of this recorder, but she also gets this gift of the mixtape. And beyond that, for her, she's so excited. And we we see that we hear this, we read this at the end of the, at the end of that scene, Ava says, you know, the real gift is inside. And so there's this theme and wave of what is a gift. Ava realizes and, and we come to understand that for Ava, at least, and probably for many of us, the real gift isn't the thing, it's the connection. It's the, it's the attention that that gift demonstrates. The idea that even somebody was thinking so much about you that they went to the trouble of making this tape for you. I love that scene on so many levels because it also touches on how this friend recognizes 
what Ava truly loves, you know, and it shows the little bit of crush that's developing uh, for the two of them. And then it also goes deeper to touching on what are the gifts that we give each other as friends and parents or and to our children? Is it the things and or is it the attention? Is it the being seen? And I think that that feeds in as well to this conversation that we can have about worthiness and what creates that sense of worthiness and being seen, being held as we walk through our lives. When Ava discovered that mixtape was in the recorder, it just made my, it made my heart feel like I wanted to sing. It was amazing. (laughs) Would you be willing to read us a section or maybe share a favorite quote from that part of the story? Oh, you gosh. Yes. I would love to share a part. One of the things about mixtape making that I realized was really neat. And I didn't really realize this until I was writing, actually. I don't know if you remember making mixtapes, but you'd press record and you'd often hear if you went, once you played the mixtape back, you'd often hear the sound of the button being pressed down, or you might hear like a snippet of the radio host saying something about the song. And there was this idea sometimes to make the mixtape perfect, to maybe not have those sounds in it. And I realized as I was thinking back on mixtapes and then writing about mixtape making that actually those were some of the best sounds. Like I remember when I would listen to a mixtape that was made for me. And at least for me, when I would hear that sound of the tape player being pressed and the recording starting, I would get so excited. It would actually create a little bit of a feeling in me. And so I was thinking about what is that feeling? And I think for me, at least it was, gosh, you know, somebody made this for me. Somebody physically pressed a button down and thought I would like this song and would want to have this song on the mixtape. And so one of my favorite parts of the book, at least in terms of this theme of gift giving and mixtape making is in another poem where Ava describes pretty precisely and kind of detailed, almost like a list, what it takes to make a mixtape. She describes those sounds. She says, you know, please don't worry about the sounds of those buttons being pressed. Those are some of the best sounds. And here is the quote from that part of the book. Those are some of the best sounds, like water splashing as you paddle for a wave, the ride's about to start. So that for me just really said so much about uh, mixtape making, but also the gift giving in life and um, the connection that we can have with one another. Yes. I do, you know, and I feel like this is what I love about your writing is that you captured all of these little nuances as somebody who did used to sit there with a, a tape player and record the songs on the radio. I mean, you took me back there perfectly. When you write a novel, you have all this space in your sentences to deliver the sounds and the tastes and the smells and everything that's going on. When you write in verse, it's so pared down. And so the Mm. fact that you're able to deliver that is really amazing. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. 
what point in your life did you start writing poetry? Years back, my mom was cleaning out some stuff and she gave me this poem. I did not remember writing that I wrote to her. Apparently I was upset about something and I, and I expressed it in a poem and I gave it to her and she kept it. It's a horrible poem. It's, but it has some rhyme and it's (laughs) succinct. And so, I mean, I'd have to say the, you know, real answer to that question is, I mean, I was probably like seven or eight when I wrote that something in me compelled me to, to write in that way. But in terms of sort of thoughtfully, purposefully writing my thoughts and feelings in poetic form probably occurred closer to high school, middle school, high school. And I think at first it really stemmed from a love for music. I had a few records growing up and one of the records I had for better or for worse was the Grease musical record. Yes. It was one of the albums. I loved that album. It was one of those albums that was like a bifold. So there were, there were two records and each record had an A and a B side and the photos of the film were spread. So John Travolta and Olivia Newton-John were, you know, splattered all over the pages. I listened to that album over and over and over again. That probably was sort of one of the beginnings of me being really attuned to music and lyrics and um, loved listening to the radio. And I think really fundamentally, that's where I, well, that's where the love for it came. And I, and I remember very distinctly starting kindergarten, having to learn to read the Dick and Jane books. And I was so bored. I was so bored and through elementary, I mean, nothing against the people that wrote that book. I mean, I'm sure obviously that it has its place, but I, I was seeking something more, I think, um, and something musical or some, some emotion or something like that. And I, um, and I went through elementary school, not necessarily thinking of myself as a reader and probably even in junior high, but I very distinctly remember having a notebook and writing. And I remember writing poetry, even though I wasn't necessarily exposed to that much of it outside of song lyrics or poetry that was read at a lot of these Persian parties that I went to. You know, one interesting thing about at least the Persian parties that I grew up going to is that art is not something that's always separated from everyday life. When you go to one of these parties, um, which is often lots of family, extended family, friends of family, big crowds in every room, music, at one point in the evening, inevitably, Somebody starts telling jokes and then at another point, people start dancing and not uncommonly like for each other, people stand around them and sort of clap or sing to the music. And then at some point, somebody starts reading poetry and it's like memorized. It's sometimes it's Hafez, sometimes it's Rumi, or sometimes it's more modern poetry. And so probably some of that stuck. And it's not even that I really fully understood what I was hearing, but I think that sense of poetry being part of somebody's life, everyday life, that it's not sequestered on a bookshelf made its way into me as well. I remember very distinctly finally getting excited about reading, or at least what I was reading in school and high school. My ninth grade English, English teacher, you know, unfortunately, I don't even remember her name. I should look it up. She lit a fire 
we we read, you know, The Count of Monte Cristo, you know, Romeo and Juliet, of course, A Tale of Two Cities. And I, that's where I really distinctly remember sort of falling in love with the written word and really studying the poetry of Shakespeare. I think it gave me such a sense of awe of what somebody could do with words and how much they could say in just like five words or 20 words. I really wanted to explore that. For me, it became kind of like a challenge or a play, um, a way to play is, you know, what can you try to say cleverly in a few words? And not to say that I can do that well per se, but you it's can. something that I think... <laughs> But I think it's something that's so, I, I, it was, a, it was something that I really wanted to try to do for me, at least as a reader, I remember finally going, oh, this is stuff I really want to read. I can chew on it, but I don't necessarily have to read a bunch of words to be really moved. I've always been a fan of the Persian poet Rumi, but I've never owned any of his work. And hmm. the Rumi references in Wave changed that because I now own a copy of The Essential Rumi since I read Wave. <laughs> oh my gosh, <laughs> that's so great. So will you talk about any conscious choices that you made about including Rumi snippets throughout? Yes, I'm so excited that you bought that book. So that specific translation that I think you have, The Essential Rumi, was translated by Coleman Barks. And I yep, came that's the upon one. it. Yeah. So I came upon that book when I was in college. I was studying at Berkeley and I started reading that book. And it's the time in my life in which I was able to then hold a book of Rumi's poetry and actually read it as opposed to a book that I saw, you know, on our coffee table or on a bookshelf that was written not in a language that I could read, which was Farsi. So I was excited to finally be able to see what all the hubbub was about. I marked passages that I thought were really moving and really beautiful, kind of fell in love with it. And the ideas spoke sometimes to really practical things like food and eating, but you know, he's a deeply spiritual thinker. And so that exploration, of course, for many of us in colleges in our young adulthood is really vital and interesting. And then, you know, it wasn't part of my life per se as much since then I dove into medical school and medical training and but of course I kept the book. And as I was writing, well, as I was writing, but probably before I really started writing it, I felt like it was important to thread in some of the beautiful truths that his writing brings up. Since the character that I wanted to explore had a background like mine, which was a Persian immigrant background into the United States, I thought it would be a lovely way to introduce reintroduce myself to that wisdom and see how that addressed or spoke to some of the things Ava was going through. And also a wonderful way to bring up one of these contributions that Persian literature has brought into the world since that time, since I was in college, actually it was around that time that Rumi maybe started to become a little bit more mainstream and some would even say potentially westernized. So it, now that it's even more mainstream, you can kind of look up little quotes that may have been attributed to him online. And some of them may or may not be his actually, but I thought it was a really wonderful opportunity to sort of showcase that. The way that I decided to thread it through is, Bianca, I literally, I actually 
own now multiple translations of his work, but that specific one was translated so beautifully and in a way that was really accessible that I felt like Coleman Barks's translation would be really wonderful to use in Wave. And there were, to my wonderment and pleasurable surprise, a number of quotes where he references the ocean and waves and what helps us, what is part of our own intrinsic value and worth. And there's a funny story behind this because of course I had to seek permission from Coleman Barks to use these quotes. And I went down this rabbit hole of being in touch with folks at HarperCollins and all of this stuff. Well, it ends up Coleman Barks still has the copyright and they asked me to go ahead and just seek his permission directly. Bianca, <laughs> it's such a funny story. I, I I literally have spoken to Mr. Barks now three or four times on the phone. It's such a wonderful connection. I've been able to express to him, I read your work in college. It was incredibly moving. Thank you. And he was so generous in allowing me to use these quotes. And one of my favorites that touches on both wave and when you breathe and that theme of the light that we ultimately breathe in and are made of is this one. Is it okay if I read it to you? Go for it. Yes. The universe and the light of the stars come through me. And that's one of, that's one of the quotes that I, you know, had underlined and marked. Uh, It's almost like a little, you know, affirmation that is so profound and moving. So Coleman allowed me to use that in the book and and a few others. And I think that they're really nice additions to how we can find the beauty in the things that are part of our parents' lives and kind of make them our own. Yeah. So I just, I have two separate thoughts that are like popping in. So the first one I'm going to say is that that particular quote really also for me speaks self-worth, you know, when you can Mm. see the stars within you, you're believing in Mm. yourself. But the second thing I, that came into my mind that I was wondering, so through your conversations with Coleman Box and him giving you permission to include his translations of Rumi's work, do you know if he has red wave? Oh, yeah. That's such a good question. He hasn't yet. He hasn't. And I want, I'm going to, I'm going to send him a copy. I myself right now only have one precious copy in my hands of the the final edition of the final print. He hasn't yet read it, but I have described to him what it's about. And he knows, he knows the sort of summary of in general, uh, that it's about a 13 year old girl, but he hasn't yet read it. And I am so excited to send him a copy. I can't, I can't wait. Yeah. That's so special. So I have more questions about your writing, but since you're talking about the one precious copy that you have in your hands, I need to bring some attention to Honolulu based fine artist. I I hope I say this correctly, Chris Goto and Mm -hmm. the the cover that was created along with the little scattered illustrations throughout, because I love the pink, purple, and blue color palette. So so I just want to know how the book cover made you feel, because for me, I knew I was going to love your story just from the moment I saw the cover. Oh gosh. Yeah. Isn't the cover just gorgeous? Thank you for bringing that up. The inspiration was sort of this Southern California sunset, but what is so beautiful about the illustrator Chris's work here is that she has weaved in this Hawaiian aesthetic of 
line drawings and waves and bubbles and surfing. She's also a surfer. And if you look a little bit more closely at the cover, in addition to the gorgeous purple, pink, yellow, Southern California sunset, the bubbles that come off of the back of the surfboard as Ava's riding that wave are made up of the typical, you know, bubbles that you would think of sort of these circular, circular shapes. But then within that, there are these motifs of Persian flowers and designs that are inspired actually by motifs that I shared with um, my publisher in Persian rugs, in engravings, those bubbles made also of these Persian motifs, you know, emphasize even more beautifully this sort of coming together potentially of, of multiple worlds into this one gorgeous ride, you know, the bubbles of the water, the bubbles of being immersed in these cultures in poetry and in music and that juxtaposition of the white and blue crisp bubbles against that sunset. It, blew me away. And then the shape of this, you know, tween on a board, kind of having her ride. I've never seen a cover like this. It's just really spectacular. And it's really a, it speaks to the aesthetic and the artistic nuance that Cameron and Kids, the publisher, is really good at bringing to life. So I'm just, I'm thrilled with it. I was blown away and I cried. I just cried when I saw it. Yeah, I would have cried too if that was my the cover for my book. It's, it really is gorgeous. I'm glad I asked you because now, I, I mean, I don't have a copyright in front of me, but when you say the bubbles, I have to go back and look at them now knowing all of that information. I have a call-in question from a, a child reader that actually feels like it needs to fit in right here since we're talking about mm. surfing. So I'm going to hit play. Hi. I'm Lola and I'm 10 years old. I'm writing a story where one of the characters likes to surf. And since your book has characters that like to surf, I'm wondering if you know how to surf too. Thanks. Oh my gosh, that was so wonderful hearing that child's voice. I didn't fully catch her name. Lola. Lola, thank you so much for taking the time to ask that question. And first of all, congratulations on writing and congratulations on exploring a surfer character. I'm so happy for you. And I probably, you know, won't have a chance to read it, but I am rooting for you. I'm, I'm so excited you're exploring that. I was a surfer. I grew up boogie boarding and fell in love with the idea of surfing. Gosh, to stand on a wave. And Lola, when I was about mm, 11, I started buying a magazine called Surfer Magazine. And not only did I look at the pictures and study what the position was like of the surfer on the wave and the feeling that that person must have had as they rode down the wave. I read every single article. I devoured those magazines. And eventually my mom let me buy a used surfboard when I was 13. I bought a used blue and white surfboard from one of the kids at my middle school that surfed and convinced my mom after a lot of begging probably to drive me down to one of the local surf, surf spots where I met this friend and he gave me some pointers and taught me 
how to surf. And I probably surfed for about a year, but Lola, I was not any good. I rode the waves after the waves broke, but I still loved it. And I still love the water. And I unfortunately don't even have that board anymore. So since then I have surfed on and off, but not regularly. I would love to pick it back up, but there was a time in my life, the same age that Ava is in the book that I did surf. Okay. So I'm, I'm seeing a lot of different connections to with you, uh, yourself and the character Ava, you know, you obviously love music just as she does and you surf. And there's also the theme of, you know, her mom being a surgeon and wanting her to grow up and possibly be a doctor too. And so I know that you're a physician at Stanford University. So let's just talk briefly on what does your writing practice look like? Because if you're a full-time mm. physician, like how do you make this work? And how does connecting with being a physician maybe help you with your writing? Those are great questions. So how I make it work, Bianca, is I'm not a full-time physician. There was a time in my life when I was, and I very quickly realized that there were other things that I also wanted to spend my time doing. So for the majority of my years practicing medicine, I've been a part-time physician and I have been working at the student health center here on Stanford's campus since 2012, the end of 2012. So quite a while, but I don't do it every day. So that is one of the ways in which I can make time for writing. And the other thing to know about me is, you know, I have four kids. And so I also spend a lot of time, you know, caring for them, of course, and the household. And, and that's a decision I made quite a while ago. So in terms of just the logistics of making it happen, that's how I make it happen. The other part of it, though, even when I was working more, I wrote, it just wasn't as much. And what has become clear to me since my childhood, but even more so since I've been a physician is how important it is for my health and also a lot of other people's health to have a creative space, to have a time um, in which they kind of work through and process feelings and emotions, but also just have fun. The way that being a physician has helped me write is one of the most difficult things. And one of the most beautiful things of being a physician is getting to immediately be part of somebody's often most difficult times. And of course, it often has to do with their body, but it could also be a mental or emotional need as well. And being so close to experiencing illness or something that might make one more aware of, of their mortality or even watching somebody pass makes me very, very conscious of that same part of my own life and the kinds of things I want to explore in my writing. And so it's like this very quick wake up call to every day having an opportunity to realize kind of what's important and what makes life meaningful. I am, you know, living in a place at Stanford and in the community that I see at my children's school where we are just so focused on technology, you know, teaching our kids how to program computers and how to type. And that's wonderful and necessary. And I have seen that focus 
in some ways be a skill to help people uh, and be a tool. But sometimes I, I've wondered if we need to do even more exploration as to what not only the language of machines, but kind of what is the language that we, what is the language of our own bodies? What is the language of our workings? And so even beyond sort of exploring mortality and meaning, when I sit with a patient, for example, Bianca, and they don't have an understanding of how their lungs work or why I'm prescribing a certain inhaler and how it might affect their breathing or something about how their digestive system is processing and maybe why they're feeling a certain symptom. You know, I get a little sad that that's not something that was part of their education before. There's there's this opportunity lost, I think, where we should be learning about how to program computers, but I think we also need to have a sense of how we are programmed, how our own bodies function. And also that goes for both the bodies, the body functions, which is part of the reason why I wrote When You Breathe, but also the emotions. I really want to explore what it is not only to make a living, which might be like programming a computer, but what it is that gives the work that we do in our lives meaning. So the writing helps me process all of that and helps me create what I what I might want to say to my patients or what I might want to have a conversation with about my own with my own children. So it helps me in that way. It really helps me focus on the power of storytelling. The other thing, Bianca, if I have a moment to say say this, is I've discovered in my work as a physician and as a public health expert that numbers don't often and facts don't often move people. You know, we know from our scientific research and in behavioral science studies that it's really story. It's really emotional connection to people and things we care about that ultimately move us, that ultimately motivate us to make a change that's better for our health or to try to transform our lives in some way or to make the try to make the world a better place or more equitable or more just. And so that, that power is something I'm really excited about and really um, want to tap into. I love that connection that you have just made between your two different careers. Uh, you've given me a lot to like take in. I can't wait to go back and listen to your answer again. So Aww. do you have any, before we go, any like specific hopes for the book when it reaches the reader's hands, or is there anything else you just want our listeners to know before we go? Yeah. Ultimately, I want listeners to know and readers of Wave to know that the story of Ava and Wave is a story about all of us. It's a story about what is it that helps us get through. And I really would love to explore with my readers what is it that gets them through? What are the things that make them feel so absorbed into another space? They forget themselves and feel like they're part of everything. Kind of like that feeling of when you look up at the sky at night. And I want them to know that they're not alone in that feeling of wanting to belong and that there is a space in which they do belong and that that's shared. And then the other thing that I really think is really valuable about one of the themes in WAVE is that we all have a truth and a art 
that we have the opportunity to share. And it may not be a traditional art. It's, it's any of those things that might make us feel connected to the world and to one another. But if we don't share it, the rest of the world won't have an understanding of that per- that person's experience, my reader's experience. And it's such a wonderful opportunity for all of us. If we share each other's beauty and truth and art with one another, there's so many fun things that we can see. There's so many new things we can learn. And there's this concept, you know, in allegory, or I'm sorry, it's probably not the right word. There's a story that's been sort of told in Middle Eastern culture in particular, but I think there's a lot of cultures that have it where a bunch of blind I don't know if it's mice or people, they're they're touching different parts of an elephant. And then they're saying, well, an elephant actually feels like the person that's feeling the trunk says, no, the elephant feels like a long, hard tube. And the person that's feeling the body says, no, it feels like a big, um, flat, you know, mass. Another person feels the ears and says, no, it's thin and flappy. And I, I want to hear what everybody has to say about their experience in this world. Cause I really want to get a big sense of the elephant and the truth of the elephant. And so I really want readers to take away that their story matters, their experience matters, and that I hope that they express it because I think it not only will help them have an understanding of their worth and belonging in this world, but it'll help all of us really understand all of ourselves a lot better. That's amazing. <laughs> Beautiful response. So Diana, it has been an absolute pleasure talking to you. I just hope that our conversation inspires our listeners to go and grab a copy of Wave Pronto because honestly, like I said at the very beginning of our chats, my heart has not felt the way it did over a middle grade novel for a really long time. It's beautiful. Bianca, thank you so much. That's just brought tears to my eyes and it's been so wonderful being able to connect with you today. Thank you so much for joining us on this quest for growing readers. Be sure to check out our show notes. You'll find links to order a copy of Wave. To see which author or illustrated guests we have coming up and how you can be on our podcast and have your questions answered by authors and illustrators, visit us at thechildrensbookreview.com forward slash The Growing Readers Podcast. If you like this show, remember, you can hear it on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Chromecast, or anywhere else you like to listen. Subscribe to the show to get new episodes as soon as they launch. If you're enjoying our book chats, please leave us a review. And while you're at it, tell a friend to come and have a listen. The Growing Readers Podcast is a production of The Children's Book Review. To discover more fantastic books for kids, just like Diana Farid's Wave, I hope you'll visit us at thechildrensbookreview.com.